Our dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your love, for your grace, for your Holy Spirit. I ask for your Holy Spirit to be upon this place, in my heart and my mind, in our hearts and our minds, to receive your message today. We ask this in your precious name. Amen. So before coming here to Florida, I taught for a number of years music, and particularly choirs. And um, something that I learned about teaching high school age and middle school age is that they really long to belong, to belong to something, to feel that sense of belonging. And I know this because when students talk to me after the year's done and, you know, kind of writing their reflections on things and, you know, all those yearbook things, they, many of them came up to me and said, you know what, this was my favorite period of the day because, number one, they got to do what they love to do, which is sing. And number two, mainly, more importantly, was that it just felt like a big family where they could join together and feel like they're a part of a unit, some a group where they felt like they got to know more people. And, and typically in, in, in classes in high school and junior high, you kind of stick to your own class. But in choir, you get to sing with multiple grades and multiple ages. And so you know, the main point is that, man, to feel a part of something there was a select choir at Loma Linda Academy in particular where uh, their name was Pro Musica, and I think it's still called that today, Pro Musica. And uh, in this select choir, I would take them on a retreat every year that we went on, I think starting my second year. Uh, we went on a retreat up to Camp Cedar Falls, which is kind of like the Camp Kalakwa. It might not be as big, but you know, similar to Camp Kalakwa. And so we would spend the weekend there singing together, worshiping together, learning about our voices and, you know, gelling together as a group, getting to know each other. And that second year, I remember in particular, there was just this awesome bond that the boys had. Uh, you know, for some reason, that first night, after that first night, I was like, man, there's something different about these boys. They were just like glued together. And I found out later on, that, uh, you know, they're supposed to sleep four to a room. You know, they all had to share the rooms across maybe about four or five different rooms. Well, they all ended up staying in the same room together. <laughs> and they were all just talking and bonding that whole night. I think I have a picture of these guys here. So you see how just for, they, they got along so well for some reason that that first weekend of the school year, they, you know, most of them didn't really know each other that well, but after that first night, man, they gelled together so quickly to the point where even the girls in the car were like, man, they're a little jealous. They're like, man, we got to bond like the boys do. <laughs> and so they're trying to do activities so that they can be like how the boys were like this one unit and they were just, you know, fun to be with, fun to be around each other. And to this day, many of them are still friends. Many of them are still my friends today, actually. You get to keep in touch with them. But they're... <laughs> This, it just seems like human nature that we need to feel like we belong to something and not feel left out. You go to colleges, universities, and they have these clubs and uh, uh, fraternities and sororities you can join. You have the sports clubs, your music clubs, glee club, the clubs for all different kinds of hobbies. You know, um, you have the 
now you have these meetup groups that you can go to. When I first moved here, I was like, huh, maybe, you know, there might be a tennis meetup group. Sure enough, there's a few tennis meetup groups that uh, I, I got to join. And even before I started even working here at the church, I got to meet up with some of the tennis players here at this church, which is awesome. And you just start to form a bond with, you know, guys, buddies that you just get on the court with and, you know, grind it out on the tennis court. And then you just, you know... Uh, like guys do, and you kind of feel like, man, this is sort of my tennis family after a while. Um, and on the opposite side of the spectrum, when you talk about isolation and you talk about, you know, the research that's been done with those who have been forced into isolation, you just do a quick Google search, and man, this the damage psychologically that it does to somebody who is forced into isolation, even within 72 hours, just you know, that, that mental anguish that they go through, just longing to have any kind of social interaction. All of these groups, when you go out to these clubs and, you know, different um, uh, meetup groups and different things, they provide the interaction and fellowship, but really they point to a deeper longing to be longing in the family of God. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6 says, There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in you all. And we're told, and it's pretty obvious through the text, that by a comparison of the church with the human body, Paul aptly just illustrated the close and harmonious relationship that should exist among all members of the church of Christ. All members. Not some, not most, but all members. So, to begin, let's, let's take a look a little bit at the human body. And by taking a look at the human body, let's start from the very, very beginning. I'm going to look at my son. When we uh, first found out we were pregnant... You know, already that's kind of four or five weeks in, right? Because you start from, um, you start to look up on the internet like, huh, what's going on in there? How big is my baby right now? And you look up, five weeks, your baby is about the size of a bristle on a baby hairbrush. So like 1.5 millimeters. Oh, our baby's a little tiny bristle on a baby hairbrush. So you, you know, you're so excited because you have this little, you know, baby and my wife, of course, you know, I, you know, of course, not in me, but. And then you look the next week, you know, you keep on going week to week, but you, you see your baby's about the size of a, a snap on a onesie. And for those of you who are parents trying to get that snap on the onesie, sometimes if you have fat fingers, it's kind of challenging. But, you know, it's a little one-fourth of an inch big. I grew up quite a bit, right? And so, you know, as we're going through these weeks, we're getting so excited, and, you know, so excited as we go along. And about 12 weeks in, you know, I decided, you know what, let's kind of film a little, you know, uh, reaction of what's going on with us. And you know, my wife, Leone, reluctantly let me use this video because she was going through some of the, you know, morning sickness, morning sickness. You'll see in the video. Let's watch that. We're at almost 12 weeks, middle of 11 weeks. And... Uh... Yeah, your mom's having a lot of morning sickness. Morning, it's like all day. 
but uh, we love you, and uh, <laughs> we're excited to have you join us on the outside. But right now, you're about the size of my thumb, and so you're about this little big, <laughs> a little chicken nugget. And um, we saw you for the first time and took your first picture last week. Yeah, it was exciting. Yeah, it's probably one of the most exciting things that's ever happened in my life. Mine too. Yeah, uh, we're at. Yeah. And so it's just to illustrate, man, the love that we had for our son. He wasn't even born. He was just this little thing inside of my, you know, growing. Uh, his arms are not quite developed, fingers developed, and you know, he just probably started to have a heart beating, you know, at that point. And we didn't even know whether he was going to be a boy or a girl. And yet, we still love this little boy with all of our hearts. It's just the amount of love that we had for him. God loves us even before we've decided to become a part of the body. That just shows, man, God loves you whether or not you're a part of this body or not. And so he's calling you to be a part of this body and he loves you so much. Of course, when we go back, actually, before we talk about that, the question is, what is the requirement to becoming part of the body of Christ? So 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13 says, for we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body. So when we become baptized in the truest sense of the word, we die to ourselves. And we sing this song, I surrender all, and give our lives to Christ, and allow Christ to bring us back to life as new creatures. We then are baptized into the body. That's God's will for us to be a part of the body and not to be by ourselves. So, of course, when we go back to Genesis and look at how God created us, it says, then the Lord God, what does it say? Formed a man from the dust of the ground, and then he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. So he formed man, he filled him, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and then he just became a human being and actually started functioning as a human being. So with us, God, after we've decided to give our lives to Christ, he forms us as new creatures. He fills us with his Holy Spirit. And then we live and function as a part of the body of Christ. So the question is, what happens when one part of the body ceases to function? Well, if it's a vital organ, then we know we're probably not going to last very long. But even the tiniest part of the body, have you ever gotten a little splinter where it's just like, oh, man, and it just affect, your mind can't even ignore it sometimes. My, my wife stepped on a piece of glass. We accidentally sp spilled glass, and we cleaned it all up, but yet little one tiny, you could, it just looked like a, you know, a little piece that, uh, you know, glitter or something like that. When I looked deep into her foot, I was like, oh, there it is. 
But yet, it hurt so much she could barely walk on it. It affected her entire body. And so guess what? As we are part of the body of Christ, when somebody hurts, when one area hurts, guess what? The entire body hurts. This is God's will for us, that we all understand this, that, you know, we don't place ourselves as, as introverts. I'm an introvert. I like to stay behind the scenes. And, you know, even though I'm up front a lot, it may not seem that way, but I like to go into my cave. Um, we might even think to ourselves sometimes, uh, why did God make us so that we need others? Other people fail me all the time. They make me mad. They're irritating. Why is, it, why is that God's will? Well, it's not part of God's design that we isolate ourselves and say, well, I can just live for Jesus by myself. Ah, me and my family, we can make it on our own. Or how about this one? I don't like that the church does this. Or I don't like that the church does that. So I'm just going to do it my way. I'll just have church by myself. In this scenario, you're by yourself, and so, you know, you're basically never wrong. <laughs> but, you've, but you're never challenged. And there's also no enrichment. And you never actually learn how to serve others and learn what it means to love others with all their imperfections and show hospitality to people. Hospitality to people. When you look at what a cancer cell is, I'm not a medical expert, but a cancer cell, isn't it something that kind of decides to do its own thing and then it reproduces and then causes a, a ruckus? And it, we don't want to be that. So if you're wondering, if, uh, uh, and you know, these are just hypothetical questions. If you're one that's constantly asking questions like, well, why doesn't the church do this? Or why isn't the church doing something about that? Well, maybe it just might be that you aren't exercising your particular gift to fulfill that part of the body. Remember, God formed us, filled us with his spirit, and then our job is now to function. Each member of the body does something. Every single part of the body has a purpose. Are you functioning this morning, are you functioning as you go throughout your week? Are you functioning as a part of the body of Christ? If you're part of the body, then your job is not to watch other people function. <laughs> Let's just watch them function. Eh, I don't have to do anything. Well, the pastors need to do something about that. That's what they're paid to do, right? <laughs> well, the elders, eh, they'll take care of it. Oh, the deacons, yeah, the deacons, they'll, they'll take care of it. And I know this may step on some people's toes, but man, with four, almost 4,000 members of this church, the, the, uh, the tendency and the temptation is to think to, think to ourselves, well, you know, with 4,000 people, I'm sure somebody else has got it taken care of. There's that song that goes, everybody said but nobody did. I don't know if you guys know that song. Everybody said that anybody could do the important things somebody should do. 
Everybody knows that anybody could do all the good things that nobody did, right? All the good things that nobody did. Everybody's saying, oh, yeah, you should do that. Oh, but no, not me. <laughs> yeah, get somebody else to do that. I'm good. So, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it mentions each part of the body having all sorts of gifts, but all are under one spirit. So the question might be, which body part are you? Maybe you're trying to fi figure that out and trying to find out, well, what, what is God's will for me to be? Um, I'll tell you something I'm not, but I really wanted to be. So when I grew up, you know, growing up as a child, you try to draw things, and I was like, man, I want to draw like that person, and whoo, I took a few drawing classes in high school, and, you know, I, I did my best. I really appreciate it now. Like, man, this takes a lot of, you know, I am not a person with the eye. I cannot see things like other people do. Um, you compare my drawings when I was a kid to my, my oldest brothers, and man, it's like night and day. Um, and, you know, we have awesome artists in this congregation, like Will Benton, who plays organ for us. You see some of his paintings and, and his artwork. Man, fantastic. Um, Patty Hofer, she oftentimes like, oh, see, doesn't that look so much better? And I'm like... <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I'll just copy what you did. So, uh, so I'll tell you firsthand, I am not someone with the visual arts. Uh, you know, that's not my talent at all. But I, I can, you know, you can probably see where I'm going with this. I'm probably somewhere around here. I think the ears is probably where my talents lie. As I'm here before you as your music director at Forest Lake Church. So I'm just going to tell a little bit part of my story. My mom tells me that when I was a toddler, that I would sing myself to sleep. <laughs> and so it kind of tells you, yeah, I love singing. It reminds me of my son. I'm like, man, he's singing all the time. And, you know, you know kids usually sing songs like Jesus Loves Me. No, he's singing choir songs already <laughs> in different languages. <laughs> and so as good Filipino parents do, and I'm sure many of you parents do, they, they had us sing up front with our cousins up, you know, in church. And I praise the Lord for that, that we had those opportunities. And, um, you know, just my, my tendency towards just loving music. I remember going through and finding my mom's old cassette tapes. And remember those cassette tapes? <laughs> we had to rewind the songs. I found, oh, Elvis Presley, who is this? And I got hooked on Hunka Hunka Burning Love, tell you. So I, I, I got all of his uh, an anthology, everything. I was hooked on Elvis, and I was like, man, it would be so cool to be able to sing up front and every, you know, the crowds and everything. And so that was kind of like my dream in third grade, to be like Elvis. <laughs> but one of the earliest times in my life that I felt like I was really inspired musically was singing in children's choir. And in California... Uh, there's a church, Central Filipino Church, and they had a choir called Forever Young. And I'll show you a picture. A lot of kids in this choir. And I was like, wow, that's so cool. They're all singing in three-part harmony. I was like, wow, that's so cool, man. And so I started singing on them, like, trying to learn my part. And, you know, from an early age, just got so inspired by singing with all, you know, you see the younger kids. And if you zoom in, you might be able to find me there. Oh! Look at that. Who's that guy with hair? <laughs> so I was there right in the midst of all of them singing. And uh, there might be another picture up there as well. But 
I was just so inspired, and, and um, we would go around to different churches. I remember singing at the General Conference, it was 88 or something like that, Indianapolis. You know, all these memories of starting out and doing music ministry as a kid. That was fantastic. Kind of fast-forwarding a little bit, I get to high school, and I made it into the uh, select choir, and I remember even in junior high, we started a quartet, and at that time, uh, we were singing all those All for One, you remember that group, All for One, and, and Boys to Men, and, and we were singing those songs, uh, and and I, don't, I can't think of a time after that that I just didn't have a group that I actually sang with. All from junior high on, I always had and always find ways to sing. But even if I didn't find someone else to sing with, I found a way to sing by myself. <laughs> and so show that picture of the, the stereo, there's a you know, dual cassette tape player, right? So at the top there, you got those cassette tapes. So I, I, I remember we didn't have cell phones back then, so I thought to myself, I was just you know, of course, you sit there and you're starting to think, what if I recorded my voice on the right side and then put another tape there and then recorded the second part while my other voice is playing and then did a third time and then a fourth time. So I started to harmonize with myself with a cassette tape player like this. You know, I have all this technology these days now with multi-tracking on your computer and all this stuff. I started with the cassette tape player. <laughs> and so even though I didn't even, I was obsessed with music. Music was kind of like the thing that I would always run to no matter, no matter what ensemble it is, I was a part of it at school. And this lasted all the way until I got to college. I was even singing in you know, secular R&B group as a 16-year-old singing bass. Like, oh, this is the youngest part, person in the group singing bass. Went on and did a lot of, had a lot of experiences. Right now I'm going to just kind of take, take a little pause and focus because when I got to my second year of college, it's probably when things started to turn upside down a little bit for me. I got burned out a little bit in music, and I started to question a lot of things. Well, growing up in this church, you're told different things, and, you know, going to an Adventist college that was a little bit, and let's just be real, I'm going to use these terms with all its baggage and everything just for the sake of illustrating what I've been through, but I understand there are bad connotations, good connotations with both, but liberal, conservative, right? So I grew up and kind of went to a more, we would say, being from California, we already have that reputation of being the more liberal side of, you know, Adventism already, right? Here in Florida, I don't know, it's, it's kind of a mix. But there, I would just say, man, it's, it's a little bit more like, ah, oh, those people over there, you know, the left side, right? And so um, I would say my experience was kind of, you know, on that side, I started to question things because it's like, huh, well, what about this, and weren't we not supposed to do that, or all these things? And so I started to question a lot of things, even when it came to music. And I remember attending a Bible study, and this is the first time I remember being challenged when it came to my gifts and my passion for music. I remember the Bible study was focused on 1 John 
Chapter 2, verse 15, love not the world, neither the things of the world. For if you love the world, you know that verse, love of the world. You know, you love the world and the Father, love of the Father is not in you. So that was the focus of that Bible study. And I was just like, whoa, does this mean my music as well? And what does this mean for me as someone who's studying music and making this part of my, 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 my whole career? I haven't studied what the Bible had said at the, up until that point about anything about music or any other writings or books or anything. So I decided to take it upon myself. I looked at every single verse I could get a hold of, every single book I could get a hold of, every Ellen White book, you name it. I've read it. I've read every single quote. I've searched. Every single book that was written about worship and music, I got, at that time, I got a hold of it and I was like, let me read this thing and see what it's about. And at that time, man, I was so humbled, and I remember, man, Lord, what do you want me to do? And asking him, man, do I give, are you asking me to give this up? And for a time there, I almost gave up music until some sense was knocked into me a little bit by a conversation with my father. He said, no, no, of course not. That's your gift. You just use it for God. <laughs> it's like, so simple. But yet, at that time, I, I, it took a while to get into this thick brain of mine. And so, from, from growing up and from going to this liberal place, I went all the way to the opposite other side of the spectrum. <laughs> I ended up super, super, super on the right side. And so, I, I just illustrate this to say, man, I've experienced this side. I've also experienced opposite end of the extreme. And guess what? There's good and bad things about both. There was spiritual abuse on both sides. There was, you know, uh, yeah, all, you name it. All the good things, all the bad things that you can name about both sides, I, I feel like I've experienced it. And I just want to bring up some points that I learned from experience. And this is just part of my story whether it be good, bad, the good and the ugly. Something that I've learned is Jesus was both. He was all the good parts of the liberal side, all the good parts of the conservative side. There's so many things I, I learned about our faith, about the Adventist doctrines, the pillars of our faith from studying it on my own. I was challenged and I was like, man, so I appreciate that part. There was also... It's also needed to keep in mind that Jesus was neither. He was none of the bad parts of the liberal and the conservative. And as I mentioned, even though there may have been good intentions on both sides, there's still those things that both sides need to work on with, uh, I call it spiritual abuse, because when you start to use God's name and start to use it in ways that manipulate and to, and to, you know, make people feel down and actually not bringing them to Jesus, then that's, that's crossing the line. But fourth point is we need to also learn from both sides. I think there's so many things we can learn. In this church, we love to sing hymns a lot. 
love to sing hymns. And we love our hymns. They talk about our theological concepts, our theological beliefs. They tell a story. They, you know, the SDA uh, hymnal is fantastic, and you look at other hymns as well. But there are also some great, fantastic praise and worship songs, sometimes that go deeper and deeper and deeper into the heart of giving, giving your heart to Jesus. And lastly, the thing I learned is that when we focus on mission, none of that really matters. Nothing else, all this sort of liberal, all this stuff, it doesn't, it doesn't even matter after a while. When we focus on ministry and being active, functioning parts of the body of Christ without the arm complaining about what the leg is doing and just focusing on making sure that it does what God has asked it to do, all of that doesn't matter anymore. So in closing, I think the greatest thing that I learned um, through this experience is that my talents are not, is not for my own benefit. It's not to pre please the crowds, to become famous, but to be used as part of the body of Christ. And so here's the challenge to you this morning. In another month, we've got this ministry fair that's going to be set up. Pastor Julie is doing an awesome job, and it's going to be out there. I want you to pray about how God can use you. If you're, not, if you're not involved with something yet, pray about what God can do through you. Perhaps there might be a need that needs to be fulfilled that you feel called to start a ministry here. It's like, man, what would be really cool is if we did this. Or what would, you know what would be really awesome and what would help reach out to people is if we had that. You know what? You know what we're going to need? I'll tell you. We have a building that's going to be built pretty soon here. And we need a place to have potluck. <laughs> we're going to need people to help with that. And, you know, potluck, I think, is, is much more, much bigger than much more, more when people think. It's not just about food. It's about getting to know each other and sitting by each other and eating with each other and fellowshipping with each other. It's where ministry really happens in the fellowship hour. So the warehouse is being built. There's going to be a huge opportunity to use that space for ministry. And the one thing I want to make absolutely clear is that every Every ministry on this campus needs help. Every single one. And I know that because I've talked to many of the leaders and like, man, we're always, you know, kind of short-staffed and we're always kind of having to do things by ourselves and we really need help. Including, and here's my shameless plug, including the music ministry. It's just, you know, you think with 4,000 members, you could at least get 100 people to join the choir. <laughs> I'm just saying, right? Or maybe at least, you know, three bell choirs or a few different brass bands, and we're getting there. But if you, and maybe music's not your calling, but maybe it is, and you just have been hiding somewhere out there, you better come find me. We all need to just make sure that we're looking inward and saying, am I being a part of this body? Am I contributing? Am I kind of just the, kind of a cancer cell off to the side? I don't want to be that. The last thing I want to say is at the beginning, I, you heard me say, man, there's nothing like being able to do ministry with my family. And so I say to you this morning, 
there's nothing like being able to do ministry with my family.